welcome to the Power Hour. And I'm glad that you're here this morning. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're right here with us. And I appreciate that. And I pray that God will bless you. This is episode number four of Live From Victory. We've been on this concept for the last three weeks. And we've been trying to understand exactly how does one live from victory. I help you to understand that you must begin by drinking the blood of Jesus. You drink the blood of Jesus by receiving his word into your life, believing in that word and living by that word. But also we understood last week that if you're going to actualize victory and initiate victory, you must be willing to come out of Babylon uh, because Babylon has fallen. Hallelujah, somebody. Babylon ha has fallen. It is already fallen, but not yet fallen. It's a promise that is waiting to be fulfilled. Uh, today, I want to jump into the word of God right away, right now, into Revelation chapter 19, uh, verses 1 to 10. Uh, allow me to help you to see the environment of this, this passage. In Revelation 18, Babylon falls. And we understand that the fall of Babylon is actually something that is already, but not yet. It's a promise that is waiting fulfillment. It's a promise that is waiting to be executed. And that's how it is sometimes in the life of faith, that what God promises may not be ours in hand yet, but because he has promised it, it is in our hand already. It's when you go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 20, that Jesus sitting on a white throne, we're going to talk about it next week, actually goes out and he executes the fall of Babylon. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 to 10, our passage for today, is in between. Uh, so watch the scene that is happening here. Uh, Babylon has fallen in chapter 18, verse 19 uh, verse 11 to 20 of chapter 19 is execution of Babylon. Our passage is in between. So let us read Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. The text says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! I love that. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Amen, somebody. For he has judged the great prostitutes. Why? Who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his saints. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, these two words are twins. Amen and hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, watch this now, small and great, small and great. It doesn't matter if you're small. It doesn't matter if you are great. All are supposed to praise the Lord. Then I heard what seemed to be the sound of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And that's good news today. Let us rejoice and exalt and give the glory. Give him the glory. I love this. Watch this now. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. <laughs> the marriage of the lamb has, lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. An angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. 
Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. There are just some things we should never do. You must not do that. I am your, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want to preach the topic this morning. Raise a hallelujah. Let us pray. Mighty God, we thank you because of this moment. Take it and turn it for your glory. And give me authority to preach the word. And Father, I pray that you give somebody the audacity to live the life of faith. The audacity to respond to what is scary, but what is your purpose and your will for them. This Lord, I pray, believing and trusting that you are going to be in this moment. And you are going to carry us through. In Jesus' worthy and mighty name, I pray. Amen. Jonathan and Melissa Helser sing the song, I Raise a Hallelujah. Perhaps you have heard this song, I Raise a Hallelujah. Uh, the lyrics go something like this. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is my melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. So Jonathan and Melissa had a friend whose son was airlifted and put in the intensive care unit. That night, the doctors declared that this two-year-old boy would not survive. And when Jonathan and Melissa heard the news of their friend's child's situation, when they heard that hope was lost, when they heard the tears streaming from uh, their friend's uh, eyes, when they heard the sad tale, they started to write the words of this song, I Raise a Hallelujah. And after writing the lyrics of this song, they sent the music and the lyrics of this song to the boy's father. And for three weeks, they played the words of this song over this boy. And this boy's situation, it started to turn. This boy's situation started to change. And today, this two-year-old boy, this two-year-old boy that the doctors have said his hope was gone, he is alive and well today. What do you need to raise hallelujah over your life today? What situation do you need to raise a hallelujah over your life today? Has your bank account been so depleted today? I tell you, Raise a hallelujah. Is the relationship on the ropes again? I tell you, raise a hallelujah. Is cancer ravaging your body? I tell you, raise a hallelujah. Are you in distress? Are you distraught? Are you in doubt? I tell you, raise a hallelujah. Do you not know what to do today? I tell you, raise a hallelujah. Has somebody stopped your plans and your purposes? I tell you, raise a hallelujah today. Do you not know how you're going to survive in this season of your life? The person whom you loved has abandoned you. The friends who you thought would be there for you are no longer there for you. I tell you, raise a hallelujah today. Are you in darkness? You don't know how to take the next steps. You don't know what to do. 
You don't know how to handle. I tell you, raise a hallelujah today. Are you in a situation that you cannot speak about? I tell you, raise a hallelujah today. Are you at a place that no one knows, but you are struggling and you are in pain and you are in a difficult situation? I tell you, raise a hallelujah today. Because when you raise a hallelujah, you put a spotlight on God. You shine a light on God. As I was looking at the word hallelujah microscopically, I began to see that this word is actually originally Hebrew. When John is recording the word hallelujah, he's recording it based upon its usage in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, hallelujah is an important concept Beginning in Psalm 104 until Psalm 150, the writer, the song or the writer, uh, the, the psalmist of Israel called David is using the word hallelujah in all of these psalms. In Psalm 104, in Psalm 106, in Psalm 107 until Psalm 150, he begins it by saying hallelujah. And so what John does is he takes the word hallelujah and he brings it to the Greek language and he does not change anything about the word. He brings it as is and he plants it right here in Revelation. It sounds the same as it sounds in Hebrew. It looks the same as it looks in, 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 in Hebrew because God, because John does not want to take away the spotlight on God. You see, hallelujah is in fact a sentence because it's a combination of two words, the Hebrew verb halal and the Hebrew noun Yahweh. So halal is put in the imperative form. In other words, it's a command. It's, it, it says like this, praise Yahweh. Now you and I intrinsically know when a command is given to someone, we know that it is addressing somebody in the second person. And so we can read hallelujah like this. You praise the Lord. But because we know this, we don't need to say you praise the Lord because normally when we give commands, we know that we're addressing somebody else. So it is more comfortable to say praise the Lord. And so this concept of hallelujah it is a sentence. It's, it's meant to bring the spotlight on God. And as I did a little bit of digging and I looked around at the word halal, which is the first part of the sentence in this concept, hallelujah, it means to shine a light. And so when David chose the concept hallelujah, he was saying sign a light on God. And when John takes the word hallelujah and he puts it in Greek, he's saying shine a light on God. And so when you raise a hallelujah, you are shining a light on God because there is nobody who can outshine God. God is a jack of all trades and a master of all. God is one of one. God spoke the world into existence from the words of his tongue. God spoke and it happened. God said and it became true. God was able to walk on water. God was able to become a human being through Jesus Christ. There is nobody like God. There is nobody like him. There is nobody who can do things like him. And so when you raise a hallelujah, you are simply saying, God, I recognize there is nobody in this world like you. Some of you don't like to be upfront. Uh, let's be real. If I was to invite you to say something upfront, either to give a prayer uh, or even to preach a sermon, uh, you feel like you're going to die. <laughs> Amen, somebody. You feel like you're going to die. You feel like your world is coming to an end. Some of you like to be in the background. You don't want people to know that you are wealthy. You don't want people to know your health status. You don't want people to know if you're vaccinated or not. And that's cool. 
you do you. But let me let you know today, do not allow God to be a background person in your life. Do not allow God to be in the background. Your life needs to put the spotlight on God. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. As Paul would put it, you are a letter that all people read. You are the person who is to raise the profile of Jesus in your life. Your life needs to be a life of raising a hallelujah. When people look at your life, they should say, you know what? There is something special about him. There is something special about her. She is unique. And it's not because she is extra, extra educated. It's not because she has the ability to command a room. It's not because she drives the latest BM. It's not because she has been to the next best destination. It's not because she's taking a vacation in New York. It's not because her kids are good or her, his kids are good. It's not because he has a latest fashion. It's because this person believes in God. It's because this person talks God. It's because this person lives God. Your life and my life needs to be a place where God is elevated, a place where a spotlight is on him. Why? Because God has something that you don't have. Look at the text in verse number one. This is what it says. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. You see, God has power. God has glory. God has salvation. Now, some of us, we have power in the sense that we have power to make decisions to affect other people's lives. Some of us have power to be, we have power to tell somebody what to do. Some of us are powerful in our homes. Some of us are powerful at the office. Are you understand what I'm saying? Some of us has, have glory. Because we have studied in certain institutions. Uh, some of us have glory because people swoon over us. Some of us have glory because people look up to us. Some of us have salvation because we are able to save ourselves when the bills have piled up. All we do is to transfer. <laughs> some of us have power because we are able to bail people out of jail. But allow me to let you know that the salvation... The glory and the power of God are nothing in comparison to what you may have or dream to have. Because as you look at the text carefully, we are beginning to see what power, what salvation, glory and power look like. Because John tells us how God uses his salvation, his glory and his power. <laughs> Watch this now. God uses it for this. Verse 2 says, for his judgments are true and just. That's God using his salvation, power, and glory. For he has judged the prostitute who, watch this, corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of the saints. John is saying the salvation, the glory, and the power of God have been demonstrated in the destruction of Babylon. As we learned last week, Babylon has fallen. Do you know that nobody but God can defeat Babylon? Do you know that nobody but God can defeat satanic forces? Do you know that nobody but God can truly save? So when we talk about the salvation and the power and the glory of God, we are simply saying, God, you are in a class all by yourself. There is nothing, there is no one like you. I need somebody to hear me and understand me today. You cannot get out of a situation. You cannot get out of a situation by yourself. Let me bring it down. As some of you are trying to come out of shame and sin. But let me let you know, it's only through the salvation, the glory and the power of God that you're going to be able to get out of that situation. How some of you wondered, why are you always living hand to mouth? It seems like you can never get ahead. It seems like every check is always completed by the time you clear out your bills. Have you ever wondered that? I want you to understand that it is only through the power 
and the salvation and the glory of God that you can be able to get out of it. Some of you are wondering, how do I get out of this toxic relationship? How do I get out of it? Yes, I've broken up. Yes, I'm alone. But the toxicity is still in my system. I still hear the abuse. I still feel like I'm nothing. I still don't have self-confidence. Allow me to let you know that it is only through the power of God that you're going to be able to get out of that. It's only through the power of God that you're going to be able to step out of that. It's through God that only we can truly be overcomers, that we can truly be obstacle clearers, that we can be mountain climbers, that we can ride on the high places of the earth. Somebody there needs to hear me that it's only through the power of Jesus when you come to him that you're going to be able to come out of your situation because only in Jesus, the one who saves, is there a salvation. Only in Jesus, the one who has glory because he made everything and he died on the cross for your sins and mine. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we have power to get out of whatever it is. And somebody today is looking for salvation and for glory and power in the wrong places. I'm here to let you know by the power invested in my voice and the power invested in my mind and the power invested in my body. I'm here to let you know that you need to go to Jesus. You need to go to God. And that is why you and I need to raise a, a, a hallelujah. Because it's only in the power and the glory and the salvation of God that we're able to come out of it. I was looking at a video on YouTube the other day. This video presented a king cobra, a white one. When I looked at the king cobra, it had a lump on its on its neck and it was going blind. Think about it. A king cobra, a powerful animal. A the biggest and the largest venomous snake in the world. It eats other venomous snakes. And if you're bitten by a king cobra, <laughs> you can die. But this king cobra could not help its lump and could not help its blindness. It needed a snake surgeon to take out the lump and to clear out the cataracts. Some of us, many of us are like the King Cobra. We are powerful. We are strong. We are able to do things. But I want you to understand that some things only God can help you with them. That only God can get you out of it. And only God can be the one who can step in and stand up for you. We need to recognize that this morning. That we need to go to God our true surgeon who can exercise and take out the lumps in our lives, the blindness in our eyes. Some of us don't see clearly. All we see is bad. All we see is doom and gloom. All we see is they are better than me. All we see is I'll never be no good for nothing. All we see is disaster. We need God to take away the cataracts of our eyes and to see that he has the power, to see that he has a capability, that we can be able to raise a hallelujah over our disaster. We can be able to raise a hallelujah over what doesn't seem like it's going to work out. We can be able to raise a hallelujah over what we think is a lost cause. Some of us need to go to God to take away the lumps in our lives. Those lumps, those hard things, those difficult things, those things that are making it hard for us to swallow His purpose, His will. Those things that are making us difficult to connect to Him. Those things that are getting in the way. Some of us, we need to go to God today and appreciate His grace and appreciate His power and His love because it's only through Jesus that we're going to be able to overcome and to have victory. You see, I also learned that when you raise a hallelujah, you create a mood for victory. I've already told you that the word hallelujah is, is a sentence in the Old Testament. But in John, it's not being used as a sentence. It is being used as a particle. 
Now in grammar, when we speak of a word functioning as a particle, this word is not really necessary in the sentence. It's not really necessary for meaning, but it adds a flavor and a flair to the word. So let me break it down for a moment. In Bahasa, we have the particle wadu or adu. Uh, when you tell your friend, hey, listen, I, I, I got a promotion. And in fact, this promotion is going to allow me to travel the world. Every month I have to be out of the country at least twice a month. Your friend might say, adu. And they're, 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 they're creating a mood of surprise and, 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 and almost happiness. When you tell your friend that, uh, hey, listen, I, I got in an accident yesterday and my car is in the, in the garage. Your friend might say, wadu. They're creating a mood and giving your, your situation a little bit of a flavor. And the word hallelujah functions like a mood creator. Uh, allow me to show you the mood that is being created in this particular passage. And I want to read from verse 1 to verse number 5. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! <laughs> Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her morality and has avenged on her the blood of His saints. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him small and great. So we have this mood that has been created in this passage as the people are celebrating the salvation of God when they when they hear what God has done, they say, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, lift him up, admire God. They are creating a mood for victory. As I told you that Revelation 19, 1 to 10 is in between Revelation 19 that talks about the fall of Babylon and Revelation 19, 11 to 20 that talks about the execution of Babylon. So this passage is in between the promise and the fulfillment. And so brother and sister, you might be in between promise and fulfillment. And it's in that spot that you need to be able to create a mood for victory. Are you talking, are you understand what I'm saying? It's when you have prayed, God, give me a job. God, give me a job. And then you read the scriptures that tell you, I have been young and I'm your old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken. When you read that promise, you understand that God is going to provide for your needs and take care of you. And it's in that spot that you need to create a mood for victory. In that spot, you need to say, you know what, though I don't have a job yet, but God has promised that he has never forsaken his holy ones. He has never forsaken those whom he loves and therefore I am victorious though my situation does not look victorious and I want you to pay attention to the passage one more time it is because it's the great multitude the 24 elders and the four living creatures who create this mood for victory the great multitude represented those who have been saved from every nationality, from every country, from all over the world. Hear me carefully. God is interested in everybody, whether you're from Japan, whether you are from Indonesia, whether you're from Malaysia, whether you're from India or Mauritius or Malawi or Madagascar. God is interested in everybody. He wants to save as many as he can. So the first people that create the mood for victory are those who have been redeemed from everywhere. But then we also have the 24 elders. And some of you miss Revelation University. And Pastor B helped us to understand who the 24 elders are. These are those who were resurrected by Jesus from the grave when he got out and they went to heaven. And they are like an insurance policy that God has laid. He's telling you and I that if you believe and you trust, you are also going to make it to heaven. And the four living creatures represent angelic beings, those who are so close to God 
and, and, and they serve God. And so what we have is that the great multitude, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, all created by God, are creating a mood for victory. And the last time that I checked, I know that you are a creature of God. <laughs> you, you are a creature of God. That alone should help you to understand that you did not come here because you wanted to. You did not come, come here because you made it happen. It's because God made it happen. And if God made it happen, it means that he's going to take care of you. And therefore, you can create a mood for victory simply because you know God is by my side. God is with me. God is going to roll with me. People may leave you. Things may not make sense. You may not understand it. You may be disappointed. Your plans may be uh, down in the toilet. It may look bad. But you are a creature of God. And because of that, you need to be able to create a, a, a create a mood for victory. And when you raise a hallelujah over your situation, that is precisely what you are doing. What mood are you creating in your life today? What kind of mood are you creating in your life today? Some of us are always in a mood. Always in a mood. We're never happy. Always happy, always sad. Sometimes some of us, when we talk, when we, so when somebody talks to you, they feel like, man, I feel like I'm talking to a dead dog. I feel like I'm talking to somebody dead because all we do is spit out, is spit out death and we spit out what's not working. All we talk about is how bad it is. All we talk about is how tired we are. All we talk about is how less than we are. All we talk about is how inferior we are. What mood are you creating in your life today? What mood are you creating when you lose your keys or when you lose your wallet? I pass it. Come on, keys and losing wallet. What's what's the big deal about that? Allow me to let you know that your faith is demonstrated in the little, 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 little things of life. When you lose your keys. When you lose your wallet, when you lose that paper, when you lose that matarai, what mood do you create? Do you tell yourself, I'm nothing? I always lose things? Or do you turn that situation into victory by raising a hallelujah and saying, you know what, Lord, I've lost something, but I know that you're going to help me to find it. Do you pray? When the family has stopped your plans. You set the date already, I know. But your family said, this date is not going to work for us. Can we push it to next year? What kind of mood do you create? Do you not start to look at your family as those who hate you? Do you not start to look at your family as those who are not on your team? And you're not making plans to elope and think, you know what? I'm going to do this by myself with or without my family. I'm going to do this. What mood do you create when things that were supposed to give you happiness are not happening the way you thought they should happen. And now your happiness has diminished and now you are, you are angry. What kind of mood are you creating? When the cancer has come back again, what kind of mood are you creating? When the app that you downloaded didn't work, that's what happened to me. This week, because my recording apps haven't been working well. And I was, I was talking to Frankie last week. He was a little surprised because the, 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 the video quality wasn't what it was supposed to, to be like. And he said, Pastor, you should have recorded it in this, in this d dimensions. And I was supposed to record in 69. I ended up recording in 4.3. So Frankie says, Pastor, you must do it in 69. And I'm trying to explain to him, hey, Frankie, it, this and that, and it's not working. I had to find so many apps. And this week, I also tried to do the same, and it didn't work. Let me let you know, I was, I was frustrated. I, I was drained. I was, I was not feeling good about that. And I had to text Frankie before recording this sermon. I said to him, hey, Frankie, listen, uh, I've tried everything. I got to give it to you again in 4.3. Can you work with it? And he told me, Pastor, I'm going to work with it and figure it out. You see, I tried everything and sometimes in life you're going to try everything. You, 
you download this and you apply for this and you talk to that one, it may not work. But the question is, what mood are you going to create? Is it going to stop you from doing what you're planning to do? Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm going to push through with this. I'm going to do this. Nothing is going to stop me because I believe in God. I, I will raise a hallelujah over my life because I know that I may not have it yet, but because God has promised it, I have it already. Hallelujah, somebody. That's what I need somebody here to get. Do not allow the situations in your life to detect your mood. Do not allow what's not working to detect your mood. Do not allow what's failing to detect your mood. You need to think about God. You need to turn your situation into worship. You need to be the master of your mood and not the situation that is around you. You need to be the master and the, the miracle worker and the magician of your mood. You need to speak life over death. You need to speak life over depression. You need to speak life over sadness. You need to speak life over failures. You need to be able to say, I raise a hallelujah over you. I believe I'll overcome. I believe that I will overcome. And you and I need to be able to do that today. Uh, you see, God has a credit card. And that credit card is a promise. And the question is, how much credit limit have you given God over your life? Some of us have given God a 1 million rupee credit limit. Some of us have given God a 5 million rupee credit limit. For some of us, it's 8 million rupee credit limit. Some of us have unlimited credit limit with God. I want you and I to understand. We need to give God unlimited credit limit. We need to believe that he is going to pay it because when he has given us a promise, when he has said, I'm going to do this, it simply means it's only a matter of time before it happens. And that is what I need you to believe this morning. You and I need to be able to do like Job when he is struggling, when he has lost everything. His kids are gone. His wealth is gone. His wife is nagging him to ditch God and to curse God to his face. Job raises hallelujah and he creates a mood of victory. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. In other words, when the struggle is at your feet, you need to be able to say, though this struggle is slay me, yet I'm going to hope in God. But I'm going to turn around to God and talk to God about this and tell him, God, you know what? It's hard right now. It's difficult right now. Please, God, do something about it. Uh, look at how Daniel's three friends raised a hallelujah. Notice what they said. If it be so, talking to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, creating a mood of victory is to believe that even if victory doesn't come, but I'm going to hold on to God. Even if victory doesn't come, I'm going to hold on to God. Even if I lose my job, I'm going to hold on to God. Even if I lose my family, I'm going to hold on to God. Even if I do not get that promotion, even if I do not get that employment, I'm going to hold on to God. Even if I lose my house, I'm going to hold on to God. Even if I lose my clothes, I'm going to hold on to God. I will not let God go. That is how you create a mood for victory. And David also created a mood for victory when he said, even though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's what you need to be able to say when you're afraid. Though I walk through the valley of sleepless nights, I will fear no fatigue. I will fear no tiredness because you, God, are with me. You're going to sustain me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no debt collectors. I will fear no tax office. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of disease, I will fear no chemo treatment. I will fear no regimen that the doctor is, 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 is giving me. Though I will walk through the valley of my skin changing, I will fear no skin changing. I will believe that God is going to sustain me in my difficulties. I don't know if I'm speaking to you this morning, but somebody today needs to create a mood for victory, needs to believe that though it doesn't make sense, though it doesn't look right, God <laughs> is uh, with me. You see, when you raise a hallelujah, you live in preparation for celebration. You see, when you look at verse 6 to 10, we are presented with a celebration. Uh, they, they raise a hallelujah to God. They raise a hallelujah to God. They say, amen, hallelujah. God reigns. They, they recognize that God reigns. And this is the bedrock of raising a hallelujah. It's a recognition that God reigns. It's a recognition that God is in charge. It's not the president who is in charge. It's not the pastor who is in charge. It's not your parents who are in charge. It's not your kids who are in charge. It's not your boss who is in charge. It's not the policeman who is in charge. It's not the immigration officer who is in charge. It is God who is in charge. He reigns over all authorities, over all dominions, all principalities and powers. God reigns. Hallelujah, somebody. That's what you and I need to believe that God is still in charge. And when God is in charge, something happens. And so when you're reading verse 6 to verse number 10, uh, the great multitude and the 24 elders and the four living creatures recognize God is on the throne. God is king. God is, is ruling. And one of the things that I love about God is that God is like a, like a pilot. He gets in, in, in the cockpit and he makes sure that the plane takes off and it lands. And you and I, when we're in a plane, we don't doubt the pilot. We believe that the pilot is going to help us to reach our destination wherever we're going. And we sit back in our seats. We allow the flight attendants to serve us our drinks, our food. And some of us take a nap. Some of us turn on the entertainment and we ride the ride until we end to our destination. Uh, because we believe that somebody is in charge. God is in charge today. And the beautiful thing is that when God is in charge, he makes things happen. Notice how God made things happen in Revelation 7 to 9. Watch this. Let us rejoice and exult and give the glory. Give him the glory. For the marriage, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And so here is what God is going to bring about. He's going to bring about the marriage supper of the Lamb. As I said, when we raise a hallelujah, we are living in preparation of celebration. This marriage supper of the Lamb is what you and I should be preparing for. Is, is what you and I should be thinking about. There is a celebration that is coming. You see, in the Jewish setting, when a young man loved a girl and he said, mm -mm -mm, I want her to be my wife because a happy life is with a wife. When he had that inclination and that desire to settle down, he would go to his prospective bride's father's house. He would pay dowry. And then he would, and then at that point, they were legally married. <laughs> they were legally married, but he left without her. He would go and prepare a place for the bride. Now the bride knew that at any day, my beloved, my groom is coming. And so she did not waste time dilly-dallying, talking to other brothers, trying to see if he is it. She was decided. She was convinced. And therefore, all she was doing is getting herself ready that at any moment, 
my groom is coming. At any moment, he may knock on the door and I do not want him to find me with my hair undone. I do not want him to find me or all rough. I want him to find me prim and proper. So in that time, when the bride is busy preparing, the, 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 bro, the groom is busy preparing, the bride is also preparing herself. She's getting her nails done. She's getting her hair done. She's making sure that she is fit and she's eating right. She's making sure that her wedding dress is, is ready. So that at any moment, when the groom knocks on the door, she's not going to be frantic and say, Oh my God, I'm not ready. But she would be ready. I want you to understand that you and I are the bride in this text. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and I. It is not time to dilly-dally. It is not time to procrastinate. It is not time to fool around. You and I should be preparing for celebration. When we are raising a hallelujah over our situations and our lives, we are saying, Lord, a celebration is coming. This what I'm going through. The difficulties I see, the challenges I experience are only things preparing me to get there. Did you know that God has put you in difficulty because he wants you to be ready for this celebration? And when you raise a hallelujah, you say, Lord, I'm being prepared. <laughs> Do you know when you're being diseased that that is a part of your preparation for the celebration that is coming? Do you know when you are in that relational difficulty, it's part of your preparation? Have you not wondered Lord, why is so difficult? Have you not wondered? Lord, why it don't make no sense? Have you not wondered why you're struggling? Well, let me give you the answer today. God is preparing you for the celebration to be married with Jesus. We have been in an LDR with Jesus. It's been long distance. He is up there in heaven. But praise God, an NDR status is coming for us. We are going to be in a near distance relationship with Jesus. We're going to be with him, by him, and walk with him. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait for that time. But you and I should be getting prepared today. Some of us, we ain't preparing. We're busy with life. We're busy with work life. We're busy with ministry life. We're busy with family life. We're busy with traveling life. Should we not enjoy life? We should. But we always need to be like the ant, living in anticipation for something that is coming. We always need to live life knowing that life now is only a stepping stone to life in eternity. You and I need to be prepared. You and I need to be ready for our celebration with Jesus. And when we start to look at our issues properly, when we start to embrace the struggle, when we start to embrace the challenge, we are saying, Lord, I'm ready and I'm going to get ready and I'm going to be prepared. You see, you and I cannot afford not to be a part of this wedding celebration. I, I want to read these words to you because these are important. In verse 9, John is told, write this, write this, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage sub of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage sub of the Lamb. You cannot be a part of this celebration without an invitation. And the good news is everybody is invited to this celebration. The sad are invited. The controlling are invited. The critical are invited. The quiet are invited. The loud mouth is invited. The leader or the manager is invited. The drunk is invited. The doubter is invited. The faithless is invited. The fearful is invited. All of us are invited. The Bible says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want you to understand, God wants everybody. He wants you to be a part of this because He wants to be married with you. He wants to be committed to you for the rest of your life. You and I cannot afford 
to lose this invitation. And I want somebody here to understand that Jesus has invited you. It's a standing invitation. And if you are willing to say, Lord, I accept you are going to be a part of this wedding celebration. But it's important, brother and sister, that you and I are prepared for our celebration. We are prepared to receive what God has prepared for us. We're prepared to be ready for Jesus. Let us not be those people who are caught with with unreadiness, with unpreparedness. Let's not be caught sleeping. Let us not be caught like the five foolish virgins who did not have oil in their lamps. And when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. And they went around looking for more oil. And when they found it and they tried to get in, Jesus had to tell them, I, I don't know you. Lord, how can you not know us? We're preparing for you. How can you not know us? He says, I don't know you because I only know those who are ready when I come. So when you and I raise a hallelujah, we're living a life that is beyond this moment. And today somebody needs to raise a hallelujah over something in your life. You need to raise a hallelujah over the struggle. You need to raise a hallelujah over the challenge. You need to raise a hallelujah over whatever is not making sense in your life. Somebody today needs to start preparing for the celebration that is to come. Your life hasn't been focused on faith. And as I told you, some of us preparation means accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and being prepared for Him before He comes and some of us need to do that by getting in the watery grave of baptism and committing our lives to Jesus forever and being married to Jesus now so that you can celebrate with him then. And I just want to help somebody to understand, brother and sister, keep on moving on. Keep on raising hallelujah. God hasn't left you. You are victorious. No matter if your situation doesn't look victorious, believe in God. Trust in God and you are going to make it. Every head is bowed, every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that we can raise a hallelujah. That you and I can connect to you and be in a living relationship with you. Father, we thank you. Father, we appreciate you. We humbly ask all of this in the awesome and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to praise the Lord for what he has just done through his word right there. And I hope that the Lord has also done something for you because for me, the word of God finds a way to just challenge my experience. Perhaps God has also challenged your experience right now. And you like to go a little bit deeper with him. You like to connect on a deeper level with God. I want you to know that we are here to help you, to facilitate that. You can reach out to us on the number on the screen, as well as on our social media platforms. And we'd be more than glad to help you. And I want you to know that God is interested in you and that God loves you. And perhaps God has inspired you to contribute financially to this ministry. You can do that as well on the account number on the screen. May God bless you. And I'm going to see you very soon. Take care.